Appreciate Brother Ryan and all the great songs he picked out this morning for us to sing. And that last one ties in really well with what we're going to discuss this morning. Uh, Why do we believe that human eyes watch Jesus ascend back into heaven? Why do we believe these things? We sing in Christ alone. How do we know about the life of Jesus? And it's because we have the Word of God. And we live in a world and a society when the Word of God is being bashed. And the Word of God is being said as a fairy tale. Uh, it's a lot, and I've heard this said to me many times. Well, it was a lot of men who wrote it, and men make mistakes, and so it's, it's kind of just a history book. But we as Christians, we believe the Bible is much more than that, isn't it? The Bible is the Word of God. It, it comes from the very breath of God. And the Bible proves that by, by what it says. But this morning, I want us to go back into the Old Testament to Jeremiah chapter 36. If you have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and invite you there. And we're going to notice that the Word of God is so powerful that it's indestructible. That throughout the centuries, men have tried to destroy it. They've tried to burn it. They've they've tried to chain it to pulpits. They've tried to lock it up, bury it, whatever you want to come up with. They've tried it. And yet, what do we have today? We have the Word of God, don't we? God and His wisdom and His power has preserved the Word for us to have it today. And it's amazing how accessible the Bible is, isn't it? We have, of course, our hard copy Bibles. We have it on our our phones, on our tablets, computers. That's not by accident. That's not a mistake. That's because God has preserved it for us to have it. And so as we think about the, the beauty of God's Word, the power of God's Word, I mentioned to you Wednesday night that this month we're going to talk about some of the questions and some of the issues that were brought up when we went to Panama. And so one of the studies that Brother Clint and I were, were privileged to be in on, uh, this man by the name of Lewis asked us, how do I know that the Word of God is not going to change? That's what he asked us. He said it had been about four years before anybody had been to his house and talked to him about God. And the last time someone came, what they were saying was a lot different from what we were saying. And I appreciate love what Clint said. Clint said, we're not here for you to hear and believe what we say. We're here for you to see what God says. And the same is true this morning, too. It's not about me. It's not about what I think or what I say or how I feel. It doesn't matter. What matters is what does God say? What does the Bible say? And so, again, as we go through this month and we look at a series of different questions and issues, this was one that was brought up. But I believe that's a question that we need to be asking here, too. How do we know for sure that the Bible's not going to change and that the Word of God is what we need? So again, with those thoughts in mind, let's introduce this study by thinking about words in general, the the purpose and the power of words. And so just kind of doing a, a, pulling this back, pulling the curtain back and studying this, Brother Gene and I were walking the other day and he came up and and told me this definition. I told him I was going to use it because very helpful to think about. What are words? Words are sounds or symbols that convey meaning. So you stop and think about it. We we communicate in different ways, of course, but we are able to use words. Uh, Brother Paul alluded to this, and it was frustrating at times in Panama if you didn't have a translator with you. You're talking to someone, and you're pouring pouring your heart out to them. They don't understand what you're saying. Uh, We we were privileged to hear our Nora preach one night, and I have no doubt he was preaching a powerful sermon. But unfortunately, I didn't understand what he was saying. Uh, I know Brian and, and Heather and others had Google Translate, so later we could go back and see. 
But isn't that frustrating sometimes when you're trying to convey something and you just can't do it? Well, God in His wisdom has chosen to communicate to us through words. That's how we know what God wants us to know, through words. So words, when you break it down, sounds are symbols that convey meaning. When you think about how the word word is used in Scripture, it carries the idea of something with authority. It's a command. For example, Psalm 33, 6 and 9, By the word of the Lord. The heavens were made, the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So look at those words. By the word. Connect that with by the command. We just read that in Hebrews 11. Appreciate Travis reading that text. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. You see how everything is framed by the word of God. So again, when you think about words, specifically the words from God, they come with authority. It's very interesting that Jesus is referred to in Scripture as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. And the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14. So what exactly does that mean that Jesus is the Word? Well, connecting all these definitions, uh, it helps us to understand this word, word in the Greek is logos. And it means literally God's ultimate communication of truth about himself so when it says jesus is the word jesus is the full communication of god to the world he is the word he is the logos god in the flesh think about these passages of course we mentioned john 1 1 and john 1 14 but in hebrews 1 3 uh, we, we think about who jesus is the exact engravement of god the exact character of who God is the express image of his person some of translations uh, say different things but it all means the same thing he's the exact imprint of God he's God in the flesh you'll notice on your your sheet there I put John 14 9 and, and I put some spaces there for us to think about so you can write it down and think about what is being said when Jesus was with his disciples remember he said I am the way the truth and the life Thomas said how do we know he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me. Well, then Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So that's so important for us to understand when it comes to the Word. It talks about Jesus, who He is. So again, we're thinking about the power and the purpose of words. As we think about the Word of God, the Word of God is indestructible. These are some of the very verses that I shared with, with Lewis that day when we were studying. Because he wanted to know, and I said, let's go to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says about itself. Psalm 119.89, Your word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. You can't get more powerful than that. Man can't touch it. Man can try to twist the word of God and pervert the word of God, which they've done for centuries. Man can try to laugh at the Word of God and scoff at the Word of God, but it is forever settled in heaven. Man can't touch it. And we can have confidence in that. We should have confidence in that. The Bible's not going to change, regardless of how men look at it and view it and treat it. It's forever settled in heaven. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So even when this world is on fire, the Word of God will still be standing. And again, we, we need to have confidence 
in what we have. John chapter 10 and verse 35, this is from the mouth of Jesus. The scripture shall not be broken. In the context there, when there's a prophecy made about him, it's going to happen. When God says something, it's going to take place. Uh, Sometimes man makes promises and man says this is going to happen, and it doesn't. But when God says it, it's going to happen. And so again, we think about the power of the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.9, the Apostle Paul says that he was chained. He said, I am chained, but the Word of God is not chained. I am bound, but the Word of God is not bound. And that's, again, something important for us to remember. And then, of course, 1 Peter 1, 22-25. Peter said they had purified their souls by obeying the truth, that they had been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then Peter quotes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, how the flowers of the field fade and the grass withers, but the Word of our Lord abides and lives forever. And then Peter says, this is the gospel which we preach unto you. So the gospel that we're studying today, the gospel that we preach, is a message that's never going to die. Incorruptible. It cannot be destroyed. And so that's, again, important for us to understand as we think about the power of the Word of God. Now here's another one. This is something that was brought up over there, and it's brought up over here quite a bit. Again, we go back to this idea. Well, men wrote it, and so there's differences of opinion, and there's different things. We need to understand that those who wrote the Word of God were inspired of God to write what they wrote. God used their vocabulary. God used their experience. But they didn't just come up with it on their own. You know, Isaiah didn't sit there and say, Well, you know, I think in 700 years or so, there's going to be a man born of a virgin. And I, and I, think, I think maybe he'll be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. No! He didn't just come up with that. He was inspired of God to write what he wrote. Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word will not return unto me void. It will accomplish the purpose for which I sent. What does that mean? It means when God says that, He doesn't waste words. His word will accomplish the purpose for which He sent it. And again, that's important for us to remember. Of course, 2 Timothy three sixteen is a passage we need to always keep in the forefront of our mind. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Literally, all Scripture is is breathed out by God. That's what that is in the original language. So again, as we think about these words, they come from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 through 13, here's when we understand that the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, therefore reveals the words to us, comparing spiritual things with spiritual words. In other words, what we have in the Bible is the mind of God in written form. Isn't that powerful? The mind of God in written form, that's the Bible. And so God, of course, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, in times past, He chose to communicate to people with dreams and signs and all kinds of things. But how does He speak to us today? Through His Son. Through the Word. So never underestimate the power of the written Word as we think about the Bible. One final thought here before we get into our text as we think about the importance of of studying with our our friends and those who may ask us, you know, why do you always go back to the Bible? Why do you say, well, let's see what the Bible says? Or why is that always your go-to? Well, it needs to be, number one, it needs to be our go-to. Don't be ashamed of that at all. But here's why. Men were inspired to write what they wrote. 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. It says, no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. That does not mean that you interpret the Bible differently than I do. That's not what that means. The idea of private interpretation means he didn't come up with it on his own. 
We use that example of Isaiah. Isaiah didn't sit there and just come up with that. No. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved or born along by the Holy Spirit. How can we have confidence today when we pick up our Bibles and read it? Passages like that that prove that the things that are written come from God. This is not a man-made earthly document. This is from heaven. That's what the Bible is. And with that, it has heaven's seal. It has heaven's authority behind it. And I believe that's important for us to remember. Of course, John 16, 13, the apostles were guided by the Holy Spirit into all truth. And so as we read what the apostles wrote, as we continue in the apostles' doctrine, Acts 2, 42, what we're doing is simply doing what God says to do. Because the apostles didn't just write up whatever they thought either. They were guided by the Holy Spirit into all truth. Two passages from the Old Testament to keep in mind too. If you're, if you're talking to someone about inspiration, Jeremiah 1.9. His word was in my mouth. What does that mean? When Jeremiah spoke, he's literally speaking the word of God. 2 Samuel 23.2. David said, the spirit of the Lord, his word was on my tongue. So when David spoke, when David wrote, this comes from God. So these are some introductory thoughts as we think about the power of words, the purpose of words, and the fact that the Word of God is never going to be destroyed, no matter what people try to do to it. So with those thoughts in mind, let's go to our text in Jeremiah 36. We're going to look throughout this whole chapter this morning. This is an incredible account, historical account. But it's something to remind us that, again, whatever man tries to do, God's Word will stand the test of time. As we think about it, let's work through it together, noticing in the first place that the message, the Word of God, is revealed. We're looking at verses 1 through 8, Jeremiah chapter 36. If you're following along, I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. The Bible says, It came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, that's important, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, against all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. God always warns before he wounds. And that's what we have here in these first few verses. Verse 4, Jeremiah called Baruch, Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction the words of the Lord. In the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. You shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord. Everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and fury that the Lord has pronounced against his people. Baruch the son of Neriah did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Did you notice how many times in that section it said the word of the Lord? Not the word that Jeremiah came up with. Not that Baruch heard what Jeremiah said. Well, I'm going to tweak it a little bit because I know my audience. No, no, no. It was the words of the Lord. And so here's the word of the Lord. Comes to Jeremiah. Jeremiah gives that to Baruch and Baruch writes it down. 
People today ask us, how do we know we have the Bible today? It's the same formula. The Holy Spirit guided these men to write what they wrote. They wrote it down and we have it. It's that simple. And that's exactly what's happening right here. So first we learn that the message is revealed. What is the message? Again, that these people are going into captivity because they've sinned against God. And they needed to hear that, but God is hopeful. Maybe they'll hear the word and maybe they'll, their hearts will be pricked and they'll change, they'll change their ways. So the message is revealed. Second, working through the text, notice that the message is received. It's going to be received by the people, by the princes, and by the potentate, meaning by the king himself. Let's look at this together. Came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem, to all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. And then Baruch read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe, in the upper court, at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the hearing of all the people. When you come to verse 11, when these individuals heard all the words of the Lord from the book, he went down to the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and all the princes were sitting. Verse 13, it says, Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the hearing of the people. So all the princes sent Jehudah, and they sent to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand, look at the language, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people, and come. There are people here that are eager to hear what God has to say. And so here you have these people, and they say, Wow, let's share this with other people. We've got to do it. Great, great example of what's going on. So Baruch, the son of Neri, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. Verse 15. They said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. Verse 16. It happened when they heard all the words that they looked in fear from one to another. And they said to Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. Why were they fearful? Because they understood the message, didn't they? I'm afraid sometimes today when when a Bible verse is shared and when somebody reads it, they don't really understand what it says. Because if they did, there'd be a change, right? Or, I see what that says, but that doesn't apply to me and close it and go on about their way. If we really stop and read it and understand, there's got to be a change. There's got to be something that comes from that. So the people are hearing and processing what is being said from the Lord. Now notice in verse 17, they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how did you write all these words? At his instruction? In other words, Baruch, where'd you come up with this information? Where'd you get it? And some people are asking us today, when we give them a Bible verse, where'd you get that from? How do you know that the Bible's the Word of God? Look at the language in verse 18. Baruch answered them, He proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Brethren and friends, we can't get more simple than that, can we? How do we have the Word of God today in written form? There's your process right there. Right? Jeremiah was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. He told Baruch what to write. Baruch wrote it down and gave it to him. That's what we have today. And so that's what is taking place as we think about the message being received. Now, you'll notice that the people receive this. The princes are starting to hear it. But how's the king going to receive it? And we keep going and we come down to verse 20. This, of course, after the princes told Jeremiah and Baruch, y'all need to hide. They went to the king into the court. and They stored the scroll in the chamber of Elisha, the scribe, and told all the words 
in the hearing of the king. The king sent Jehudi to bring the scroll. He took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king, in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. So now we understand that the word has been revealed, the word is being received. Different reception to the same message. In the third place this morning, let's notice then that the message is rejected. Remember, fear came upon the people. They told Jeremiah and Baruch, you need to hide. Because they knew what was being said. And the king understands too. Let's see the king's reaction as he responds. Verse 22. The king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with a scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Here's a man who hears the word of God, doesn't like what it says, cuts it out, and throws it in the fire. And let me just say as a side note, those who reject the word of God today are doing the same exact thing. It's as if you take a knife and cut it out and throw it in the fire instead of making a change. Verse 24, it says, Yet they were not afraid. Nor did they tear their garments, the king of any of his servants who heard all the words. Didn't bother them one bit. And I'm afraid in our society the same thing's happening. Doesn't bother me what that says. I'm going to close it and do my own thing. I'm going to promote this from the highest levels of government. We don't care what the Bible says. That's painfully obvious. Here you see that the king, and the, that it didn't bother them. There was no fear in taking the very words of God and throwing it away. But we need to understand that's a very dangerous, dangerous thing to do. Notice in verse 25, there were some of these men, the servants, who implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. I know this is hundreds of years ago, but do we see some parallels today? We do. The king commanded the king's son, and he commanded all these individuals to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord hid them. They're doing the work of the Lord. They're doing what God would have them to do. God protected them. Because if they would have been standing there, they would have died. Because the king said, seize them. I don't like what they're saying. They need to die for it. So again, we see the message from God, how it's revealed. We see the message is received, the different reception between the people, the princes, and the king. We see that the message was rejected. But now finally, let's notice that the message is restored. Verse 27 to the end of the text. After the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Take yet another scroll, and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. Why is it important that he write all the words? It's to show the power of God's word. No matter what people try to do to add or take away, the word's going to say what it says. And we need to understand that this is the standard for what we do. This is the standard. We can try to look at it, and people have done that for so many times. Next week's sermon, when we get into that topic, a very controversial topic, we need to remember this concept. We have no right, no authority to add or take away from what God has said. 
This is the standard. And so God says, I want you to take another scroll. I want you to rewrite every single word that I gave you. But also, you're going to notice there's some other words that are going to be added as well. We'll get to the end of the text. Verse 29. You shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. In other words, he's not going to have a proper burial. Did he have consequences for treating the word of God this way? He did. Verse 31, I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, on the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. See, God's message from Jeremiah to the people is that you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. If you don't repent and make things right, you're going to go. But the people did not listen. They would rather listen to the other prophets, right? Oh, this prophet says, well, actually, it's only going to be two years. So who do you think had a bigger following? The one who said 70 or the one who said two? What about today? The one who says repent and make changes, the one who says do what you want to do, just come back Sunday and make sure you write a check. Who do you think is going to have a bigger following? Why do we have football stadiums filled out? Because those men don't care to change the Word of God. But every true gospel preacher has a responsibility to speak where the Bible speaks and to be silent where the Bible is silent. Jeremiah understood that. He said, I'm going to speak what God wants me to speak. Baruch understood that. I'm going to write down exactly what is being said to me by the prophet Jeremiah. But the people did not want to change their ways. They did not want to heed. So finally in verse 32 says that Jeremiah took another scroll. He gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many similar words. I can't help but smile when I read that. That's God's way of saying, yeah, you, you thought you were going to burn these words and destroy them. Not going to happen. In fact, I'm going to make sure those are restored, and I'm going to add some to it. And God has the right to do that, doesn't he? And so again, it's very serious when we try to alter the Word of God. And maybe you're not sitting by a fireplace, and maybe you're not literally taking uh, scissors and cutting it out. Maybe you're not literally throwing it in the fire. But when Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, and someone says, You don't have to be baptized to be saved, they've got a Jehoiakim syndrome. They're cutting it out and throwing it away. In a Bible study one time, and baptism came up, I said, will you read 1 Peter 3.21? Sure. Baptism now saves us. According to that verse, what saves us? Well, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. I know that. But Gene, going back to your class, what do you do? All we can do is in a loving way present the truth to other people. The rest is up to the power of God, what He does with that. We have a responsibility to plant the seed. Trusting that God will give the increase. Don't be discouraged by that. I know it can be discouraging, but at the end of the day, the power's not in me. The power's not in you. The power's in the Word of God. And we can remember that as we try to study with other people. So as we bring this to a close, I want to extend the invitation today, reminding us with this account in the Old Testament 
Things written before, written for our learning, Romans 15, 4. Remember this account of Jehoiakim and, and cutting it up and throwing it in the fire. And people today do the same thing. And people for centuries have tried to do it. And yet, here we have the Word of God today. It's not going anywhere. It's indestructible. And so this is to, to fortify our faith and to strengthen us. And we can and we must have confidence in our Bibles. We need to be able to study it for ourselves and go and teach it to others with that confidence. Men can rebel against the Word, but they can never destroy it. And I added this, not even Satan can destroy it. Remember what Satan tried to do in Genesis chapter 3? You shall not surely die. What did he do? He added one word. So can one word cause damage? One extra word brought sin into the world. One word changed the entire landscape of this universe. You shall not surely die. And yet, the Word of God stands forever. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. Again, we learn from this account in the Old Testament that God is serious about His Word and we must not add to or take away from it. I'm not going to go through and quote all of these, but I want you to understand that from the beginning, middle, and end of the Bible, God says, do not change my Word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And if somebody does that, it doesn't line up with this, let him be accursed. Those who hear the Word, as we notice from this, receive it differently. It's the same exact message. Is it the messages? Is it the problem of the message? No. It's the heart. It's how one receives it. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the gospel, remember what happened? They were pricked in the heart. And they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Did you know that Stephen preached the same exact gospel in Acts chapter 7? But instead of being pricked in the heart, they were cut to the heart. They picked up stones and they killed Stephen. Same message, different hearts, different reception. And Jesus, of course, talks about that in the parable of the sower, right? Different hearts, different reception, but the same message. But you and I have the responsibility to preach what God has, has said. Not change it at all, but to present it in truth and in love. Acts 17, 32 is another text that, that highlights this. When, when Paul preached that sermon on Mars Hill, some mocked. Others said, we want to hear you again, and there were some who believed. Same is true today. There's going to be a different reception, but we must not change the message. Again, we can have confidence in the Word of God, knowing it is not going to change, because it is relevant today, it's essential to our lives, and it will affect where we spend eternity, how we respond to the Word of God. So you may be asking, okay, well, how do I need to respond? What needs to be my response today to the Word of God? I'm going to give you two passages and you piece these together, and with that, we'll extend the invitation. Psalm 119, 161, the psalmist says, My heart stands in awe of your word. You and I need to stand in awe of the word of God. To, to think about all these centuries of people trying to burn it, destroy it, people today that laugh at you for it and mock you as a Bible thumper. I say thank you when somebody says you're a Bible thumper. Thank you, because I'm going back to this. Every time. This is where the power is. This is the purpose of what we're doing. We don't need to be ashamed of that or shy away from it. But in our world and in our society today, we need to make sure that we, as God's people, stand in awe of the Word of God and never forget how powerful it is. But also, let's remember James 1, 21 and following. Receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the Word, not hearers only. 
Let's have so much love and respect for God and His Word that not only do we read it, not only do we study it, but we apply it to our lives so we can live it out every day and we can teach others to do the same. The Word of God is indestructible. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's power to salvation. And we learn that from the Word, Romans 1.16. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, why not respond to what God has said? The one who sent his only begotten son to die for you has given you the instruction of what you must do to become a Christian. If you look anywhere else, you're not going to find the answer. Because Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You've got to do it God's way if you want to be saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You must hear it, and you must believe what you're hearing. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 8, 24. Be willing and motivated to repent, change your mind, change your life, Acts 2, 38, 17, 30. Confess with the mouth, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8, 37, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And based on that confession, be baptized into Christ. Come in contact with His blood, have all your sins washed away, and rise to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3 through 6. That's not me, that's the Bible. Respond to what God said and become a Christian. But it may be that, that as a child of God, maybe you've, lacked, maybe you've lacked that fortitude. Maybe you've lacked the courage to stand firm on the Word of God. And when others try to say different things, you say, well, yeah, I guess that's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. In love, we need to stand firm and say, no, no, no. Let's, what does the Bible say? Maybe we're not studying the Bible like we once did. Maybe our heart's not standing in all the Word of God like it once did. Maybe we need to get back and be reminded just how powerful the Bible is. That may describe you as a Christian, and maybe you need to repent of that and change your, change your mindset about it. But let's remember that no, ma no matter whatever happens in our life, whatever happens in the world, whatever comes from the Supreme Court, whatever the President has to say, the Word of God is not going to change. We need not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come?